My name is James Metzger. I'm the lead pastor at Renaissance Bible Church, and I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning into our podcast. At Ren, we really believe that God's Word is living and active, that God still uses it to form and shape and change lives uh, for all of eternity. And so our prayer uh, for you is that God might use uh, these words to point you and others to Jesus. May God bless you in your journey. A couple of weeks ago, now my oldest son, Cademan, uh, decided that he would work on a little project. Uh, the World Cup was starting, and Cademan's a big soccer fan or football fan, and so uh, one day he decided to write down a list of all the teams competing in the World Cup. To the left, he wrote down what was the probability or likelihood that that particular team would win. He wrote down their odds, and then next to each of the teams, he wrote down a sentence or two uh, describing the strengths or the weaknesses of that particular team. Uh, as you can imagine, near the top of his list were teams like Brazil and uh, Germany and Portugal, I think Argentina made it to the top 10, and next to those teams were things like, has the greatest player in the world, uh, has a dominant offense, has an amazing defense, has the best goalie in all of soccer. And then as you made your way down the list, you notice some of the things that he was writing about the teams changed. He might say, well, they have one good player, or they have two good players, but he didn't have a lot of good things to say about him. And then on the very bottom of the list were two teams. There was Panama and Saudi Arabia. And bless their hearts, their odds were a thousand to one to win the World Cup. I read what Cademan wrote about the teams, and he wrote the following words. All of their players are meh. And that's all he said. All of their players are meh. And I read that, and I thought to myself, well, nobody um, probably should tell them that because it would be demoralizing before they go out and play. But then the other thought crossed my mind, you know what? I don't want that said of me. I don't want that said of me. If I were to be completely honest with you this morning, I would tell you that uh, I have a desire, I have a longing uh, to be great. I have a desire or longing to be great, and I know when I say that to you this morning, it can garner a number of different responses. If you're here this morning and you've known me for a while, you might be thinking to yourself, good luck with that, <laughs> right? <laughs> I hope that works out for you. Other people might be here this morning and go, I have some of those same desires in me. Like, I, I want to be great. I want to be great at what I do. I want to be great in how I spend my days. And maybe, maybe others are here this morning and there's something about that statement that just kind of bristles against your heart. Maybe you think to yourself, a follower of Jesus, someone who follows after him, uh, shouldn't be talking like that. See, the fact of the matter is, is that it's true. Um, I want to be great. When I think about my marriage and my relationship with Melissa, I really have a desire and a longing to be a great husband. Like, I want to love Melissa with a ferocious love. I want at the end of our days when family and friends gather together uh, to honor Jesus and talk about me, I do not want Melissa uh, to stand up in front of everyone and say to them, well, tough loss, but you win some, you lose some. <laughs> you know, we'll pick up the pieces and move on tomorrow. 
Like, no, I want her to miss me. I want her to think back and go, James was a, was a great husband. I want to be a great dad when I think about parenting my three children, Cademan, Noah, and Amelia. Like, I want to knock it out of the park with them. Like, I do not want them rolling out of the driveway when they're 18 years old and on their way to college thinking to themselves, boy, I'm glad that's over with. But I, I want my boys to grow up and look back upon their time in the house and go, you know what, dad was a great dad. I want Amelia to grow up to be a godly woman and think to herself when she's in her late 30s and thinking about dating. I want her to go, man, I want to find, I want to find a man who's great like my dad. I want to be great. I want to be a great husband. I want to be a great father. And, and quite honestly, I want to be a great pastor. Like, I don't want you guys to roll out of here on a Sunday morning and look at your loved one and go, uh, so what are you in the mood for? What do you want to eat? Right, the, the reason that I, that I open the word and, and preach God's word to you is, is because I want it to land on your hearts and souls and I want it to make some sort of difference in your lives. I want it to be great. I want to sit across the table from you at Starbucks or Panera and I want you to walk away from the conversation not saying to yourself, well, that was incredibly unhelpful. I want you to go, man, I'm so grateful for that time. I was encouraged. I was challenged. I was sharpened. I don't want you to look back 30 years from now and think to yourself, boy, we were pretty aimless for the last four decades. I'm glad we're still around. No, I want to be great. And so you can imagine how pleased I was when a number of months ago I received a note from one of our kids in the village. I don't know who it's from. There wasn't a name on it, but uh, this particular kid wrote these words to me. Dear Pastor James, thank you for being a pastor and uh, founding this church and being the pastor. I have learned a lot at this church. This is my favorite line. This church is a lot better than my old one. <laughs> exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. There was four exclamation marks. He said, thank you. I will pray that you can have wisdom. But there's part of me when I read this, and I particularly read that line, this church is a lot better than my old one, when I thought to myself, man, it stinks to be them. Right? It stinks to be them. But there was this other part of me that thought, like, yes, we're doing a good work. And that's good news. Those are good words to hear. You see, I have a desire to be great, and something tells me that if you were honest with yourself this morning, you would say that you have that same desire. We read books not called, like, subpar to average. We read books titled Good to Great. I think that desire and longing in my heart to be great is the same longing and desire that you have in your own heart. I think when you think about your relationships with other people, you think to yourself, I want to have great relationships. Man, I want people to know me and love me. I want them to speak truth into my life. I want them to care for me. I want them to walk with me. I want to have great relationships. If you're here this morning, you, you probably want to have a great marriage. You want to be a great husband or a great wife, a great father or a great mother. You want to be a great friend or a great colleague. You see, I, I think God has instilled in us and given us that desire uh, for greatness. What is almost shocking when we read Scripture is that I, I truly believe that God uh, wants you and wants me to be great. I really believe that the God of the universe who made you and knows you and loves you wants you 
to be great. But God does not want you or me to be great sometimes in the way that we think of greatness. See, I think oftentimes we think of greatness in terms of superiority, but God thinks of greatness in the terms of service. Uh, We think of greatness in terms of I'm going to compare myself to other people to see how I measure up. But God has a different definition of greatness. God's definition of greatness involves service. And I truly believe that you and I will either uh, spend our days serving our hunger for greatness or we will spend our days serving and be great. My prayer for you and my prayer for me this morning is that we would spend our days serving and be great. Uh, This isn't something I I made up. I believe that this is grounded and rooted in the Word of God. The story takes place in Mark chapter 9. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 33. There's three things that I want us to notice as we walk through the passage together this morning. Uh, The first is I want you to notice the desire that the disciples had for greatness. I want you to notice the desire that the disciples had for greatness. I want you to take note of Jesus' definition of greatness. And I want you to see how greatness is demonstrated uh, by Christ. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 33. Uh, If you don't have your Bible, the passage will be on the screen and you can follow along. Uh, It says in Mark 9, 33, And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and he put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Uh, Notice first the desire for greatness. The disciples are walking along the road. They're headed to Capernaum and they're talking with one another. Actually, they're arguing with one another about who was the greatest. I love how the story is told because when they get to where they were going, Jesus looks at his disciples uh, like a parent and says, so what were you guys talking about? You know, it's like when a, when a son or daughter comes through the door and a parent looks at them and, and looks and peers into their soul and says, is there anything you would like to tell me? Right? And you're thinking to yourself, uh, like I've been caught. Right? I'm guilty. Guilty is charged. I've been somewhere where I shouldn't have been. I did something that I shouldn't have done. I said something that I shouldn't have said. And somebody found me out. It's as if Jesus has found out the disciples, and the disciples respond the only way that you can respond. They don't say anything. It's like catching your little boy or little girl with their hand in the cookie jar and chocolate chip cookies in their mouth and chocolate chips on their face, and you're like, what have you been eating? And they're like, nothing, right? Because they've been caught. And this conversation the disciples have is, it's not talking about greatness in the way that God defines it. They're not talking about greatness in the way that Jesus defines it. They're talking about greatness in terms of superiority. Who's better than the next guy? Right? And, they're, and they're bantering back and forth. They're having this conversation. We don't know exactly how the conversation went. I can imagine someone like Judas uh, standing up and going, listen, I, I take care of the money. I take care of the money. The money's pretty important around here, and so I am 
the greatest. Maybe John goes, well, I hate to interrupt you, but I am the one that Jesus loves. <laughs> so I got that going for me. And then maybe Peter pipes up and goes, I walked on water. Boom. Drops the mic, walks away. I'm the greatest. I, we don't know what they're arguing about. We don't know what they're saying, but they're having a conversation that, that clearly uh, is not pleasing to Jesus. And yet what's so fascinating about the story is that Jesus does not rebuke the disciples for their desire for greatness. What he does is he redefines greatness. Right? You would think Jesus would say to them, what are you doing talking like that? You've been with me for how long? You're still asking these questions? You're still wrestling with this? He doesn't say that. He just redefines greatness for the disciples. He sits them down and he says uh, to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. He says, you want to be great? Right, then be last. You want to be great? Then serve everyone you meet. You walk into a room and you go, I wonder how I can serve him. I wonder how I can serve her. I wonder how I can serve uh, these people. He says, if you want to be great, then the pathway uh, to greatness is not you being superior to the person next to you. A greatness is not the fact that you're more talented than the next guy or you're sharper than that other girl, or you can sell more than that guy. You can accomplish more. You can meet your quota. You can do this, that, or the other. True greatness, according to Jesus, is service. So he tells his disciples, you want to be great? That's great. You be great. And you be great by being last. You be great by serving all. This morning, you have a desire in your heart for greatness. I think God says to you, and he says to me, man, like, kudos. That's great. You want to be great? You serve. You want to go places in the Christian life? You want to, you want to climb high? Then you go low, and you serve. And then Jesus, after um, seeing the desire for greatness that the disciples had, and after redefining uh, greatness, he demonstrates what uh, greatness looks like. It says in Mark uh, chapter 9 that he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Uh, Jesus says, you want to see what it looks like to be great? Then you welcome uh, into uh, your presence a child. Now, we may hear that today, and we may think to ourselves, why? That makes sense. I get that. I mean, we, we love our kids, right? We love our kids. We sacrifice for our kids. We, we give to our kids. We want our kids to have opportunities that we never had growing up. We want to we make sure that our kids um, live a, a good life, and they're protected, and they have opportunity, and they can uh, thrive in the world. But the mindset that we have of our children today is not the same mindset uh, that the, the Greeks or the Jews had of children some 2,000 years ago. You see, kids back in that culture were oftentimes um, forgotten. They were the ones who were in the margins. People were more concerned about survival. Uh, kids weren't expected to live a long time, and so parents would not bend over backwards for their children. Life wasn't about their kids. Life was about them surviving. And so in many ways, kids were on the outside looking in. They were the ones uh, who were in the, the margins in uh, society. Uh, children, and oftentimes women, were largely auxiliary members of society. Right? They were the ones who were thought of or perceived in the culture as not having arrived. 
Right? They, they, they kind of got in the way a little bit. Right? And so what Jesus is doing is welcoming a child into his presence and telling his disciples, you want to be great, that's great, you serve. You, you want to think about who you should serve, then, then serve someone like this. Uh, serve someone in the margins of society. Serve someone who is forgotten. Serve someone who is overlooked. The path to greatness in the Christian life a life following after Jesus is a life of service. See, here's the thing. I, I don't think that message in and of itself is new to us. Especially if you grew up in the church, if you grew up in this church culture, that probably sounds somewhat familiar to you. I mean, you, you, you've heard the call to serve and to serve uh, one another, and yet there's this part of me that wonders, why do we struggle with that so much? Like, why is it that there are times in our lives when we're focused more here uh, than we are here? Uh, why is it easier for us to think about ourselves than it is for us uh, to think about others? Uh, I think, quite honestly, one of the reasons is pride. Is pride. I think, I think all of us on some level wrestle with pride. We are big fans uh, of ourselves. Uh, and, and the way that oftentimes this pride rears its ugly head is in comparison. I say that because of the conversation that the disciples had. They were arguing about who was the greatest. And in order for them to determine who was the greatest, what did they have to do? Uh, they had to compare themselves with each other. They had to look at one another and think to themselves, my ministry is more impactful than your ministry. I bring more to the table than you bring. We could do without you, you, and you... <laughs> But, but me, well, I'm kind of needed. You ever struggle with comparison before? You ever spend your time looking over your shoulder, kind of assessing the people around you? Do you ever look at other people and see how God has gifted them and equipped them, and instead of celebrating that, you think to yourself, well, shoot, and why, why can't I be a little more intelligent? Why can't I be a little more dynamic? Why can't I be a little more uh, better or effective leader? Why can't I be like him or her or them? I think one of the reasons that we do that is just simply because of pride. We're trying to measure ourselves against one another. And when you are comparing yourself to each other, it becomes really difficult to serve each other. And it becomes really difficult to walk into a room and think to yourself, I wonder, I wonder what I can do for him. I wonder what I can do for her. If you're primarily thinking, why is it that they have that and I don't? Why is it that they're gifted that way and I'm not? Scripture says that the disciples were having this conversation, and it wasn't apparently a light-hearted conversation. Like when they were talking about who was the greatest, it's not like us talking about who's the greatest between LeBron James and Michael Jordan. Right? It's not looking at like two basketball players like that and someone's going, oh, I think Jordan's the best. No, I think LeBron's the best. Or I think, you know, Isaiah Thomas is the best. It's, it's not like this, this, he is. I mean, just, he's the best because he played for the Pistons. It's, it's not like that. They're, they're arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom. I mean, just think about that. The Savior of the world has come to walk among them, to lay down his life, and they're jockeying for position, right? And they're arguing with one another. 
This is like a group of pastors getting together around a table and fighting about who has the best or uh, the brightest or the most effective ministry. I'm a better preacher. No, I'm a better preacher. I'm more practical. Well, I'm more theological. We have more people. We baptize more folks. We bring in more money. I mean, how foolish, how foolish is that? And yet, I think one of the hindrances to us pursuing greatness as God defines it, namely serving each other, is that we're so busy comparing ourselves to each other to serve one another. Another reason that I think we struggle with pursuing greatness as God defines it uh, is because of position. Because of position, because we kind of have a, a mentality in life that we have this ladder in our mind of importance or of significance. Uh, And our goal is to work our way up the ladder of importance or significance so we don't have to do what less important people or less significant people have to do. When I was in college, I spent a summer mowing lawns uh, because I saw these guys on riding lawnmowers, uh, listening to their headphones, working on their tan, and I thought, that is a good gig. Like, I want to figure out how I can get one of those riding lawnmowers, you know, the ones where you just put on my headphones, and just work on my tan. And so I applied for this job. The interview process was really short. He, like, checked my pulse, was like, good. Uh, Show up on Monday at 8 o'clock in the morning. So I showed up on Monday at 8 o'clock in the morning, thinking to myself, I'm going to get to sit on a riding lawnmower all summer long, listen to music, and work on my tan. I remember going to the first job site. It was about 8.30 uh, in the morning. It was a big field, and we all got off the truck and walked behind and walked over to the trailer, and he uh, unhooked the weed eater, and he brought it over to me, and he said, James, see this button right here? You need to push it three times and give it a pull. Pull it a couple times. If it doesn't start, move the choke, and then pull it again, and then start weed eating, and just continue to do that for the next 10 weeks. I thought to myself, um, this is not what I signed up. Like, I wanted, the, I wanted the mower. I wanted headphones, working on my tan. And he's like, here's a weed eater. And, and I thought to myself, man, that's like the bottom of the barrel in my mind. Like, I don't want to do that. I want to do important jobs. I felt very unimportant. Do you know when Jesus calls someone to himself, regardless of your title, regardless of your role, he hands you a weed eater. And he just says, get to work. Jesus looks at his disciples, the chosen ones, the ones who are going to build the church, the ones who are going to travel the world, the the ones that other people would look up to, and he says to them, do you want to be great? Then serve. You want to be great in my kingdom. You don't be first, but you be Last, The the term here that Jesus used to describe the servant uh, was a table waiter. The table waiter. Those who are great in the kingdom of God are those who wait tables. They are the ones who don't care about uh, position or a title. They are the ones who walk into a situation and go, hey, I just want to serve. I don't care if I have a title. I don't care if I'm going to be recognized. I don't care if I'm going to be applauded for my work. I just want to serve. And oftentimes, we want to serve in such a way that we we come alongside people uh, who are influential and people who are important and people who will advance our cause. 
right? People who, when we serve them, it's going to benefit us. And so uh, Jesus takes a little child into his arms, and he says, let me tell you who you should serve. Like, serve a child. Serve someone who's not going to impact your bottom line. Serve someone who's, who's not going to help you advance the corporate ladder. Serve someone that when you serve them, you seemingly get nothing in return. In fact, it is costly for you. You want to be great in God's kingdom, uh, then you serve. But oftentimes, our position or our desire for position uh, hampers us or hinders us. And so Jesus calls us to this way of life. Jesus says to the disciples in Mark uh, chapter 10, verses 42 through 43, a passage that I'm sure we'll get to in the next year or so. uh, He says, uh, You know that these who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, uh, and their great ones exercise authority over them. In other words, there are people in important positions uh, who make sure you know that they are an important person who has an important position. But Jesus says to his disciples in Mark chapter 10, verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. It should not be so among you. That's not how we operate. That's not how God's people walk. We don't use our, our position and lord it over people. Uh, we serve people. A hindrance that we have, uh, though, is his position. And so Jesus calls his disciples uh, to live this way of life, but he doesn't only do it uh, with his words. He demonstrates what it looks like. Right, Philippians chapter 2 talks about this, right? That Jesus emptied himself. He became like us. He, he served. He took on uh, the form of a servant. Jesus didn't just have a way with words. His actions were powerful. Renaissance, if you want uh, to be great, then serve one another. A hindrance to this is pride, is position. And then sometimes, quite honestly, um, I I just think we suffer from paralysis. And you you don't see this in the text, but I just think there's sometimes in life when when we hear that call to serve one another and we go, hey, I'm in, but I have no idea what that looks like. I'm I'm committed to the idea, but but I'm not sure what that looks like for me uh, here. And we kind of shrug our shoulders a little bit and we say, I want to serve, but where? Or I want to serve, but I'm, I'm not really sure how. Or I want to serve, but. And so there's all these hindrances that we have uh, to pursuing the kind of greatness that God uh, calls us to. And so I want us to be left with just a few things that I think are helpful uh, responses for you and for me. Uh, first, if pride is an issue that you wrestle with or you struggle with. And, and if you're here this morning and you hear me uh, say that and you think to yourself, well, I'm glad that I don't struggle with that, um, then you struggle with it. Um, <laughs> pride's just kind of funny that way. Um, you, you probably don't even see it, you know. Uh, but if that's you and uh, in me, and, and it is us, then there should be something within us that says, God, would you, uh, would you break me of my pride? Would you break me so that you can use me? God, I know that I have pride in my heart. I know that I have pride in my life. God, I, I know there's stuff there that I do not even see. And so, God, you need to break me. You need to humble me. That's a dangerous prayer to pray. That's a dangerous prayer to pray because I think those are the kinds of prayers that God loves answering. If you say, God, humble me, I think he's going to take you up on the offer. But, but listen, if he humbles you, it is, it is a good thing. It's a good thing if it draws you to him. It's a good thing if it causes you to realize your need 
uh, for him. If you're here this morning and your, your position is really important, like titles are really important to you, letters are really important to you, being a big deal is really uh, important to you, then, then pray and ask God uh, to change your heart. Just ask yourself on a daily basis, God, am I, am I willing to serve if no one notices? Like, am, am I willing to serve my brothers and sisters sitting next to me in these seats, even if I'm not recognized, even if I don't make the video, even if someone doesn't say something about it on Sunday morning? Am I okay to live my life in such a way uh, that the crowd does not applaud uh, when I serve? I wrestle with that, and so I pray, God, Lord, Lord help, help me to live uh, that out. Help me not care if nobody notices. Help me not to care. Lastly, if you're here this morning and you struggle with paralysis, like you want to serve, you just don't know what your next steps are, I want to uh, encourage you, have a conversation with someone who knows you and loves you. Like someone who's walked with you a little while, someone who's seen you operate, and say, what, what have you seen in me where uh, I've been able to do something, I've felt energized, and, and it's been beneficial to the people around me? You know what I mean by that? Like, come alongside someone and go, hey, like, like what have you seen in me? And you might find out, hey, listen, you're, you're, you're great bringing uh, order out of chaos. Like, you're great, great walking into a situation and, and bringing some organization and pulling back. Or you're great with kids, man. There, there's something about you sitting down in front of a bunch of five-year-olds where you capture their attention. Or you're, you're great um, setting up technology. Or you're great uh, working with your hands. Or you're great here or there. Uh, sometimes God uses those gifts and abilities that he has given to us uh, to set us free to serve in that way. And so I would encourage you to have that conversation. If you're here this morning and you want to serve at Renaissance, but you don't know what your next step is, uh, hop online, renbible.org. If you look at the drop-down menu on the top, uh, there's something that says, uh, like, volunteer application, right? We're, we're, we're doing our best more and more to go help us understand who you are uh, so we can find a place for you uh, to serve and we can set you free to do that. If you're here this morning and you don't know where your place is, I would encourage you to fill uh, that uh, out. Listen, I think all of us here have a desire uh, to be great. Uh, but my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that our desire for greatness would be greatness according to how God defines it. And God does not define greatness based on superiority. He defines greatness based on service. So Renaissance, listen, listen, listen. You will either spend your days, I will either spend uh, my days serving our hunger for greatness or serving and being great. My prayer for you is that you would serve and be great. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for, for your son Jesus. Lord, even as I uh, share this, this call to serve and to experience greatness as you define it this morning. I am reminded of Jesus who was uh, the perfect servant on our behalf. Uh, Lord, as we uh, enter into communion this morning, we ask that you would uh, steady our hearts, help us to, uh, to focus on uh, the goodness that is seen in your son, Jesus. Uh, Lord, I pray for us as a church body that you would uh, set us free to serve. I pray that you would humble us. I pray that we would function in such a way that we don't care about position or titles. I pray that you would grant us the clarity that we need. Move us in the right direction, Lord, for your name's sake. Uh, God, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.